because you're jumping back into the gut. Hey coach, welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter, at bballimmersion, or on Instagram, at basketballimmersion, to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Excited to welcome NBA coach Kevin Burleson to the Basketball Podcast. Kevin is currently the head coach of the Rio Grande Valley Vipers of the NBA G League. He was previously an assistant coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves in 2020 and served as the Timberwolves head coach during the 2022 NBA Summer League. Kevin has also worked as an assistant coach for the Iowa Wolves and the Memphis Grizzlies. Kevin comes from a prolific sport family. Kevin and Nate Burleson are one of only two sets of siblings in which one played in the NBA and one in the NFL. Kevin played college basketball for the University of Minnesota and then professionally overseas. He also played in the NBA for one season for the Charlotte Bobcats. KB, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate it. Been wanting to do this for a while, so thanks for having me. Well, it's uh, great. We connected a while ago when you were in Minnesota, and uh, I'm excited to talk to you then, and I was excited to talk to you now. So, uh, look, I got to start with this, because in doing research, I didn't realize (laughs) this, that... uh, you know, Kevin, yourself, and Nate are yeah. one of only two sets of siblings in which one played in the NBA and one in the NFL. Uh, that's pretty yeah. cool. No, nah, it is. It's really cool. I always kind of joke with my brother. I tell him, I, you know, I messed up the money because, you know, at one point, you know, going into my second year with Charlotte, we started to get some advertisements, some um, sponsors, and I ended up getting cut. <laughs> so we didn't get that stuff. But it was, uh, at that time, it was unique, you know. So uh, I thought it would be more, but. Uh, you know, we're just blessed to be able to, you know, get to that point. Absolutely cool. Very cool. And uh, well, basketball wise, uh, you also had a cool experience this past year where mm. you got a chance to be a head coach. And, uh, you know, talk to us about that. A longtime assistant and then you get your chance to be a head coach. Yeah. You know, I've been fortunate enough to be around some head coaches and they would uh, always say, you know, when they were they were assistants and they were like uh, that one seat over, they would say, you know, they they think, oh, you know, I can do this for sure. Then they go to that next seat and they're like, well, this is different. So I was kind of prepared for uh, some of the challenges. It was a, a great, a great year. Obviously, if some people followed it, we went to the finals, lost in the finals to Kobe Carl and the crew in Delaware. Uh, so, you know, I know Kobe a little bit, so I was happy for him. But yeah, it was a great year. And it was one of the things where I went into it knowing that it's going to be a lot of growth. There's going to be some mistakes. There's going to be some things that I felt like I did well, things I didn't do well. So I was just excited to like see how good I can be. Uh, and, it, you know, it's, it's taught me a lot. I'll tell you this, like, I know some coaches do say like, it's them like being a head coach. And it's so true. Like if you can be a head coach in any type of level, you just learn so much about yourself and about, you know, just basketball in general. How much did summer league being the head coach of summer league prepare you in a way for that G league position? You know what? Uh, more than people would think, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, Chris uh, Finch, the head coach in Minnesota, you know, he's one of our great mentors, too, of, of mine and a lot of other uh, guys. He, he said, hey, do you want to be the Summer League head coach? And I was like, yeah. And the first thing I thought was like, oh, man, no uh, dinners and stuff like that. I'm going to be stuck in the room drawing <laughs> up plays and not seeing my friends out there. But I was so excited about it. Uh, he gave me the opportunity. And, uh, and when the first day I I started out, I was, uh, you know, like, okay, I'm not going to be able to do this. You know, you know, kind of, I knew I, I could do it, but it was more so like, I wanted to win every game, I wanted to be perfect. And so, and then the first practice, I was like, okay, I can do this. This is going to be fun. And then, you know, I had a lot of help along the way. Uh, some of the guys that are on the coaching staff were great. And it was, it prepared me. It made me want more, you know, like after that summer league, I was like, man, I told, I joked, not joked. I really was serious. I said, I don't want to do nothing else. I want to be a head coach now because it was so good to be in control a little bit and like really mentoring the kids off the court too. I mean, it was, uh, you know, knowing nine, 10 days, but at the same time, you're the head coach. They ask you all these questions and you put your arm around them and try to, you know, help them in their careers and tell them that they should go overseas or not. Things like that. I liked being that mentor too. So, you know, I was excited about the, the future. No doubt. And uh, obviously, Summer League and the G League both serve as developmental leagues somewhat mm-hmm. for the NBA. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm just curious, how do you see your role in player development and helping prospects transition to their next level? 
Yeah, it's kind of unique. I mean, you know, my background is player development. So that's how I started, you know, with, with the Rockets. I was an intern and, you know, that's how I kind of made my way, just being a guy to be in the gym all day, developing guys. And like, it's, it's involved a little bit in my, this the way I think about player development. Like before it was more so just acquiring skills. Like, okay, I got to make you dribble better or and your shooting pocket needs to be better and things like that. But now, you know, as I became a head coach and just over the years being, being assistant, it's all about how do you develop this kid to be a role player? Like the role players are the new st- like the stars to me. Like, you know, you get guys getting 90 million now as role players, almost 100 million as role players. So there's no excuse. Before it was like, I'm trying to make that big money. Now it's like, you just see him sign for 90 million. So now it's like, how do I develop that mindset first of like, being a role player and to acquire the skills to be because acquiring skills to be a role player is way different than being somebody that wants to be Kevin Durant or, or uh, Steph Curry, right? You know, so uh, that play development in the G League is huge in that sense because all these guys are a lot of these guys are really talented. I mean, but you know, they're lacking certain things, whether it's on the court or off the court. But that mindset of like, okay, I used to be the Kevin Durant of my team or the Steph Curry of my team. Now, how do I become that high, high level? role player that might have to do something out the box of such as being a high level defender or whatever to get to the NBA and stay in the NBA and, you know, have some, make some money. So that's kind of like the player development, I think mostly in the G league and kind of my concept when when I'm talking to my guys on my team. And, and for uh, real grande in particular, I mean, they've done a great job, not just balancing development, but also with winning. And those two Mm -hmm. things don't necessarily go hand in hand. So What's unique about there and the culture that's been created to be able to be successful while you're still developing players? Well, I think, I mean, it starts with, you know, we've always had, at least when I was the Rockets, kind of like, not, I want to say strict, but a kind of, uh, you know, a, a, a certain way of thinking when it comes to offense, right? Like, you know, shoot a lot of threes, you're trying to attack the basket at all, all costs, you're trying to touch the paint. Uh, not too many, uh, you know, long twos. And I think most of the league are, are into that, but we're pretty strict and the G League is an opportunity to really hone into that. And most of these guys are not going to have that freedom to kind of shoot whatever shot. So when they get to RGV and they see the shot spectrum and how we how we play, then, you know, they have to buy in, you know, because we're a winning culture over here. So like they buy in and they find different ways to be successful like, for instance, Lou King was with us. And I don't know if some of the guys might, I mean, people out there might know Lou King. He plays, he's, I think he's still with the Sixers now. But at the time, he's with us. And he's ultra talented, ultra talented. And, but he liked to, he's like, when he get the ball, he liked to hold it. Hold it and go one-on-one, ISO game. And I remember, I was like, oh, first day, I was like, oh, that's going to be, I'm going to break that. I'm fast. So I would, every day in practice, I would pull him off. It's every day in practice. I'm like, I'm telling you, you're talented. But if you play this way, you're not, it's not, you're not going to get to the next level. If you play this way, you will. And playing off the catch, all, you know, all the things that coaches preach. And finally, I remember we were like, it was like getting, getting close to December. And one of the coaches from another team said, how are you getting Luke King to play this way? This is crazy. He's playing off the catch. He's moving the ball. And it's like, that is what gets you to that next level. Because, you know, you're talented enough to play one-on-one down the stretch when we need you. But throughout the game, especially if you go to the next level, you're going to be the guy that receives the ball after so-and-so gets pressured or doubled or help is some help coming. So you're going to have to play up to the catch and make a play. So, yeah, I think – and for me, being in the NBA a little bit helped because I would tell guys every day, I know what it takes. I've been in these coaches me. I know what they look for. I mean, they kind of like – they have to believe me because I've been around. So, yeah, it, that's the concept. And I think just the organization does a good job – that in that way just we're playing a certain way and that's it so give us a deeper answer how did you get Lou king to play that way <laughs> <laughs> well i mean listen these kids nowadays you know they you know they want the bag right you know they want to get to that next level they want to get that contract so i would i would all the time i would grab him and certain other guys that were, you know in his uh category in terms of uh talent and i would say these are the guys that are getting paid more than you and is he more talented than you? Like, is he like skill for skill more talented? They're like, no. I'm like, why is he getting why is he in the NBA? Why is he getting paid more than you? Like, just tell me. Is he doing this? Is he doing that? Is he a better defender? So I would break that down. Like, and this is a lot. Like, I would keep going every in games they they revert back to their old self. I'll bring him back in. Here's another guy. Why is he in the NBA? 
I'm just like, I'm telling you, I know what these coaches are talking about. They do not want you to be holding the ball all day. They do not want you to do now in the game, in the shot clock, I would drop a play or the ball swings to you, do you. But throughout the game, you need to play the right way. So I think over time, I don't know if it's brainwashing, <laughs> but they're like, okay, I'm going to trust him. And the success, I mean, people were telling him to his face, like, you're playing the right way. So, and I think guys understand that. Once they understand that, and it's kind of like you got to hold them accountable. There's no, there's no, like, you say it and then they don't do it and no one says nothing. Like, everybody has to know, like, this is, I don't care if you're the best player, you're going to be held accountable. So, yeah. Love it. Quantifiable data and accountability. Uh, that's yeah. just, just yeah. it nowadays, isn't it? The other yes. thing, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say the other thing about RGV that stands out is I know you know, some of the coaches through the years that uh, you've been basically a science experiment somewhat for <laughs> basketball, right? Like doing different things. And I know one of the ones that you played around with this year is sending five to the offensive board. Yeah. So what yeah. did you learn? Yeah, you know, uh, well, the first thing is sending five sounds good, but <laughs> it's not easy to do, right? Especially like we had Trevor Hudgens, like, I told Trevor, like, you know, at first we were sending five all the time. And like, and we, we, we have some terms we like shadowed every day in practice that, and you know, one thing that I learned that you have to practice it. Like for us, if you don't get your feet in the paint for offensive rebounding, then the whistle blows. So there's no, like just a random play goes by and you didn't do that. One person did the whistle blows. You might keep playing, but we're calling out the guy that didn't do it. So, and then we're just, it's steadily. And after the game, we have, uh, numbers and i'll show them like who didn't go the percentages like so we're constantly forcing these guys to be like damn i gotta go coach is gonna be tripping coach is gonna be saying something the whistle's gonna blow so even if we're doing a dry run and they don't get their feet in paint on a dry one just shooting a shot for office rebounding we're stopping or we're blowing the whistle or we might not stop we might just say something but i did learn that yeah it sounds good but like i got like trevor like he's not gonna get a lot of rebounds down there but he can dominate that free throw area like I told him like that's gonna be your you know your your place your home like when offensive rebounding all them loose balls out there on long rebounds you gotta go get them um and if you don't feel like you have a chance you get back because a lot of times you know he's not getting them over them trees but it won a lot of games for us like we weren't I think we're pretty good this year we weren't like as good as they were last year because the personnel was a little different but it won us a lot of games down the stretch I mean you can see in the playoffs I mean you know, teams, I mean, I, I'll think of the Cleveland uh, New York series. And uh, I, forgot, I think the kid name is Williams. Uh, he was just offensive rebound like a monster. And it was like, there's, there's, there's so, it's so, they're daggers, right? Cause it's like you play great defense and you offensive rebound and get a three or a layup. So, um, so yeah, it, it taught me that like it's, it's very important, but you have to teach it every single day. Cause once you don't, even your most athletic guy, uh, and, if Jalen LeCue is listening to this, he'll understand because he's, you know, obviously one of the most athletic guys in our in our league. Um, and I, somebody I've, I've never seen a guy like that, actually. But he would not off his rebound at times. And then when he started doing it, it just I mean, took, a, took our team to another level. Well, it connects back to what you said about certain players finding another role for themselves, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm curious about two things. One is, uh, did it improve your transition defense? Because that's the other thing that seems to be connected with sending five to the boards is that you're immediately connected with a check in terms of getting back on defense. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is, do you think this is something that can be used in the NBA? So first, I, I wouldn't say it improved it, um, but because at first, just our technique on transition wasn't the greatest. Uh, but I, when we got the hang of being able to do both, like it did, it didn't make us like, uh, I felt like dangerous because we sprinted so hard back, we always thought we were behind the eight ball, right? Because our, our guys thought, okay, we put our feet in the paint. We know we're probably behind. Even when we weren't, like, the ball wasn't ahead of us. They would just sprint so hard back and get into the paint and build out. So that, I think, I guess that could have ended up helping us because we, we started to prove down the stretch of the year. Um, but, yeah, that one thing, that's one thing I did see, like, you know, the guys were freaking out because they knew, like, okay, we're all five in. We got to sprint our butt back as far as we can. And a lot of times teams weren't kicking the ball ahead, so we were back in time to set our defense. So it did help in that sense, but it wasn't something just right away quantifiable. Like, it, it was just kind of gradual. Yeah. yeah, and that connects to and that second question, which is basically, would NBA players do this? Yeah, you know, so 
We have, I know something in Minnesota, we have something similar that we're trying to teach. Um, it is, I think is valuable. I think NBA teams can do it. I think Boston does it a little bit, uh, pretty good actually, but I think players that are not used to it. One thing I did learn, you cannot force them. Cause like, it's, it's, it's one of the things where it's like, yes, you're going to tell them every day, but it, it literally, it took a, almost a whole season for Jalen to get it really good. So it's like, you, it's not going to work overnight. Like they're so used to like watching the bar or just getting the outlet and things like that. So, um, I think NBA teams can do it because there's high level players. And I think if it starts from day one in camp and it's like, this is a non-negotiable, this is what we do. And we're going to have our bumps and rolls early, but anybody that comes into this organization, this program knows it's what we do. Cause they see this guy doing it, this guy doing it. And especially if you're high usage, usage guys doesn't do it because they're the guys that are on the court all the time, making all the plays. If they're doing it, there's no excuse for anybody else to not do it. That's fascinating. It's going to be interesting to watch uh, how teams kind of evolve. <laughs> rebounding. So thanks for yeah. going through that science experiment though. <laughs> yeah. That's one thing I would say though. It's fun because, you know, I will get some directors from the top sometimes like, Hey, try this. Or sometime I'm like, Hey, we're going to start doing this. And then they're like, Oh, let me check with the, you know, GM or so, you know, whatever. And like, okay, that's cool. So we get to experiment a little bit and we get to, you know, usually, you know, we, they do a great job of getting the athletes for us. So we, we can do it. Yeah, that's fun. And, uh, you know, you've been a part of obviously a number of staffs, uh, you know, we talked about summer league, we talked about G league head coaching positions too. So talk to us a little bit about how you bring a team like that together, building a winning culture, a team identity. Yeah, man. Yeah. It starts from day one. Like I'm a, I'm a big believer, like really challenging your, your best players. Like, because I mean, you, you want to build a culture, but it doesn't matter if you're in the bench role players or, uh, you know, buying into everything and then your best players that are with the ball all the time and making the plays don't. So I'm like right away, like, okay, these are the guys I'm going to challenge every day. And then you got to figure out one, how to challenge them. Like there's certain guys that you're going to, you're going to have to just go right at. And the certain guys, you got to bring them to the office, put your arm around them and figure out how to uh, get to them. So right away, I try to, as a staff, we try to look at that and say, okay, who are these guys? Okay, these guys right here, we're going to have to talk to them this way. We're going to have to bring them in, do this. And then once we get them on board, everybody else will follow. So that's kind of like my thing. And that's uh, the staff, my staff, we kind of like did that. And it worked because at the end of the day, you know, there's guys that are really talented, um, but they're in the G League for a reason because maybe they have some emotional problems or they just can't, uh, you know, just be level-headed at times. But, you know, them guys are the ones that are, level-headed, they got emotional control, they're buying into the system, then everybody else starts to follow. Um, and then it's that every day is repetition too. Like I'm big on like words, like throwing things out there. We had a mantra this year, uh, stay present, right? We, we broke the huddle, stay present. And like, as we said that all the time. And that, mean, that meant so many things. Stay present if coaches yelling at you or your girlfriend just broke up with you or you had a bad night or whatever it is, right? Or the refs, it's terrible today. Are your teammates in past you? What is the objective? We're trying to win a game. Stay present in the next that moment. That moment is you got to make this next shot or you got to box out. So a team kind of uh, grabbed that mantra and just kind of ran with it. And I really believe that helped us get to that uh, finals appearance because we had a lot of uh, tough challenges along that way. So there's a lot of little things you got to do. And this has to be every day. If you don't like one day, one day you start to lack, lack just lax and just not do your your uh, system and not say these words or not tell them this, they're going to go another way. I'm just telling you, this is what it is. They're going to say, oh, they're not talking about getting five feet um, or, or, or feeding the paint. They're not talking about staying present. They're not talking about this or that. So we every day we're hitting them with it. And I think that helps a lot. Well, I'm so glad. I mean, I think throughout all these podcasts, whenever we talk about that culture piece, it comes through with what you just said, which is it's these mini conversations, these small moments. It's not this big speech or this one speaker mm -hmm. that creates it. It's this everyday thing that you just referenced that you've got to stay on it all the time. Yeah, I think and there's one thing I know Chris was really good at and JB was good at, uh, JB Bickerstaff and Chris Finch. They're really good at like projecting like and, and like saying, okay, right now I could see this happening. If we don't nip this in the bud now, in two weeks, this is going to happen. 
they're they're really good at that. And I observed it. I was like, man, they it just because they knew like I could feel something. So we got to start to do this, that, and the third. So I took that with me. I wouldn't just after practice just sit there, you know, get something to eat and leave. I'm like looking at what happened today, who interacted with who, you know, from teammates to staff to you know, last game, like I'm thinking all these different things. And then I go the next morning, I'm going to a staff meeting, start talking to the staff, like, hey, what do you think about this? Is anything going on with this? And I might bring a player in. So then it just kind of starts to nip stuff in the bud early. And then now it's not just, it doesn't blow up. Because, you know, the coaches that are listening, they know a lot of these players are fragile. Teams are fragile. And I don't care how good a team you have. Once it breaks, it breaks. Great example. And uh, you referenced uh, staffs. And I know that's another big piece in terms of the NBA or G League or whatever is managing a staff and uh, all the players that come with the team as well. But uh, you've said it, most staffs have the answers to the puzzle. (laughs) Talk to us about that, because I do agree. I mean, especially with the size of NBA staffs, you better have the answers, right? Oh, man, they have all the answers. I'm talking about because, I mean, like like you said, the size of the NBA staff is huge. I mean, everybody you know, should uh, try to contribute when they can. So like we go to these coaches meetings, it's like, okay, we should do this. We need to do this. He needs to do this. And like, it's, it's a long, long laundry list of things people need to do. And this will make us successful. And it's all right. Really, it's all right. But how do you execute that is the hardest thing in the world because one, you're dealing, especially the next level, you're dealing with players with, you know, contracts and this and that. It's a lot of different things. So the coaches, like, let's be real, like, Coaches know, especially at this level, a lot of coaches, we run the same stuff. And like, it's, it's not like there's some things that are different. There's some wrinkles. There's some things, the timing of it, when you run it and things like that, the teaching of it is different, but it's all about the buy-in part. Like, how do you get, they have the answers. Now, how do you get this, these kids or these men to do this over and over again the right way, even if you lose, right? Like, and cause, because if you do it the right way over and over again, you know, throughout the season, you're going to have, you should have a successful season if you have the talent. So, but that's the hard part because people want to, players want to go their own way. They want they, they got people in the ear and they got their own agenda at the time. And especially now with the social media, it's just like, they're, they're their own brand. So everybody has the answers, but how do you, uh, you know, execute them the right way? And how do you have your kids that, I mean, your men to execute them every day. So, and I, like, I always go back to every dance, every day in practice, there's no, like, you know, you can't just give them nothing. You have to make sure they're executing these things every day in practice. And then, like, in the game, it's just going to be, you know, it's habit almost. So, and it's, it's, it's hard, though, because some of these players is like, man, I make $100 million, man, especially next level. Like, I'm coming to practice. It's a Wednesday. It's, you know, it's cold. Man, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> but, nah, you can't, you can't let up. So, yeah, I, I always say that, man. I've been a lot of staff, and it's just like it's not about the answers. It's about how you get in this player to execute it that's the trick of it and i think every day in practice the mini conversations the proof the analytics the film uh, all that plays a part i mean and you can if you, if you get relaxed on one of them little things that chain breaks it's, it's over well i'm glad you brought it up that way because i do yeah. i'm as an advocate for coaches through this podcast i mean it's so true i do feel like coaches get unfairly blamed for so many things when coaches usually have the answers it's just a yeah. question of whether you can get the buy-in right yeah, it's so funny because people call me, especially like some of the teams I've been on, like, why did you guys do that? Why was he doing that? Why did you have him doing that? I said, you think we told him to do that? <laughs> <laughs> you actually think we said, yeah, go go do that. Go do that. Yeah. No. He, like, he, he went against the, the game plan. But, I mean, we're not going to, you know. So, but it goes back to, like, it's it goes both ways. Like, yeah, he might have went against the game plan, but it's our job to make him, you know, can it stay with the game plan, right? So it's kind of goes both ways. We have to, if I could figure out a way. Yeah. Hey coach, a brief time out from the podcast to bring you the Analytics Minute sponsored by Hoopsalytics. Do you know which players should be taking what kind of shots? An analytics system like Hoopsalytics can help your team make better shot selection decisions. You can track every kind of shot each player takes, where the shots come from, rate the shot quality, track if the shot was contested, and see the results. For example, see which players are taking mid-range floaters and measure the results versus catch-and-shoot jumpers. As an added bonus, Hoopsalytics shot charts are fully interactive, so you can filter by shot distance, shot type, or even specific areas of the floor. Then watch video clips of all those shots or see the points per shot. Hoopsalytics brings the most powerful analytics to teams of all levels. 
It's easy to use and affordable. It's like AI for basketball coaches. Visit hoopsalytics.com slash ball today. That's H-O-O-P-S-A-L-Y-T-I-C-S dot com slash ball today to learn more and start analyzing your game for free. You referenced the shot profile that you were looking for on offense. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about the offensive spacing concepts that you use to be able to create that shot profile. Yeah, I think most coaches, especially now, especially the NBA level, you know, the five-out spacing and, you know, just having the room for your playmakers to attack and drive and kick and, you know, start that chain um, or start that trigger where somebody comes over, whether it's a low man or whether it's a nail help, and then make you know, somebody can make plays for somebody else or they make plays for themselves. But it's not easy because especially when you got guys coming from college and young players, they want to gravitate towards the ball. It's just, I mean, it's just a natural thing. And even if you say get to the corner, I think every NBA team has X's in the corner. I mean, you know, college teams too, like get to that deep corner because it creates the spacing. They start to creep up. Whether it's, even if it's the top of the floor, spacing, like somebody might be going one-on-one, they might, their, their player might be helping. They're just top of the floor waiting for the ball because they want to receive the ball. They want to make a play. So the big thing is that five-out spacing, whether it's five-out or four-on-one in, you have to be, thinking about sharing the floor with your teammate at all times. And like, that's something, one thing I have learned from being a coach this year is like, you can say these things and they nod their head, but they don't, sometimes they don't know what you're talking about. Like they'll nod their head like, yeah, okay, I understand. No, they don't understand. And you have to literally teach them. And it might be over and over again. Like, this is why, look at your spacing. Look at your spacing. This is why you should share the floor with your teammate this way because now he has them to drive. Now you create that chain and now you can kick it to this person to make a play. And the ball might actually come back to you. So going back to like every day, like, and I'll tell you this, even for me, like my first couple of weeks there when I was a uh, head coach, I told myself I would never have long film sessions because I just think that's unproductive because I think, you know, after 15 minutes, it's like, you know, they're not thinking, they're thinking about calling duty. But I, my first really long film session, I told him, I was so pissed off after one of our first games. I said, hey, I got this film session. I said, I'd probably be like a little longer, like 25 minutes. So I'm looking in the back and I'm seeing like people nodding off. I'm like, how long have I been on here? I've been yelling, teaching, you know, doing all this. And it was like 50 minutes in and I, I stopped it. And I apologized to the team, but at the same time, I said, you guys needed this. I said, I know some of you guys didn't get all this. But this is how this is how much you know I care, and I want you guys to care about this. So that being said, like, like it takes it over and over again. That spacing, we talk about spacing over and again, correcting them, correcting them. Even they have consequences. I'm not, I'm really big on getting on the line, but it's kind of like if you have to chew them out a little bit, chew them out a little bit. That spacing is important, and then I think with athletes, you, after that, they're so talented at this level. You just kind of like let them play. You know what I'm saying? Just have the general concepts, like okay. If he drives baseline, you cut the uh, opposite uh, wing, you know, you can get a little, uh, we call it a kill cut. Um, or if he drives baseline and you're not, the, not at the deep corner, you better drift. There's all these little things that they got to have the concept. And, um, you know, then after that, just, you know, let their talent like go. So, you know, I always say, like I told them first day of camp, uh, you guys are the artists. I'm just, I'm just the guy to give you guys the tools, the canvas. I give you guys all the equipment. And then I give you guys the framework and then you guys just paint. So, yeah. It doesn't surprise me that one of the hardest things to teach at all levels of basketball is holding a spot. <laughs> you know, the unintended consequences, the way kids are raised in basketball is coaches are always shouting, keep moving, move, move, move. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. that's not the game anymore, is it? No, it's not. Oh, it's not. It's not. Because it's like, you, you got guys out there so talented, like if you're moving and cutting uh, in front of them as they're making plays, like like a Jalen LeCue, ain't too many guys can stand in front of him. He's so athletic. So you want him to start the trigger. You want him to go downhill. And then when he gets to that paint, you know, we drill it. You know, he's looking for the kick. I always tell guys, like, especially in transition, when you attack the paint in transition, it's not for you, right? especially at this level. Because, you know, every team is taught to, you know, get to the paint, build out, you know, or, you know, obviously, you know, find your shooters, but, you know, we're not giving up layups. So you want to get to the paint to look to pass, right? Now, obviously, you have a lane and dunk or something, dunk it. But a lot of times people think, you know, especially when they're young, they come in, oh, I'm in the paint. I got to just make a play. You got two dudes on you, three dudes on you. Your, your job is done. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's hard. You want you want your athletic guys that you want that same in the half court spacing 
or athletic guys to get downhills, and now they should know what to do. I mean, if it's a kill cut, you know, it's a kill cut. If it's a corner pass, if it's a swing, swing, they should know that because we drew that. And that's one thing, you know, I know Chris talked about this and JB Bickerstaff talked about this. It's like whatever, uh, you know, type of offense you do want and that whatever type of actions you do want consistently, you have to drill that every single day. And we have certain drills we do it every single day. They're quick, four or five minutes, and, you know, pass, pass, drive, this kind of thing. They know it's, we're going to do it. It's not like this is like a warm-up almost, but it's just kind of like gets their mind like, okay, kind of not say brainwashing them, but it gets a repetitive movement of drive, drive, pass, pass, drive, drive, all that. And then it's like clockwork in the game. Love it. And, uh, you know, the beautiful thing about basketball is it's a game of opposites. So certainly talking about offensive spacing, I know one of the things that you value defensively is recognizing when your opponents are potentially uh, in bad spacing situations. So talk to us about how you try and take advantage of bad spacing defensively. Yeah, I mean, you know, we got some unique defenders like Trey Mitchell. None of you guys heard of him. He's, I'll say, the best defender in the world. He's, he was uh, great this year for us. Um, but he was really good at uh, reading when teams were in bad spacing. And I start to see that, and I'm like, you know, we should have that as a concept. Like, that has to be something we have to take advantage of because a lot of teams do have bad spacing because guys want to gravitate to the ball. So say somebody's uh, top of the floor and this guy, somebody's going one-on-one. A lot of times, top of the floor, even if it's a solid shooter, guys will just hug their man because it's just natural. So one pass away. But as a guy goes to make his move, once, once you see his back, you should be following him. You should be tipping from behind. You should be trying to block his shot. There's no way he's going to go up and then turn around, twist in air, and hit the guy at the top, unless you're Jason Kidd or a high-level passer. But it's not too many guys like that. So we, we teach that. We, like, we watch our film. It's like a concept like, you know, if you're defending the corner man and that guy's driving and then the guy, you know, turns, you see his back and he's pulling up, you should be coming to block a shot. It should be a double contest. Like, or the, if the spacing is bad, like it's two, three guys on one side and it's really bad spacing. That means that's cue for you to, we're helping. We're helping. There's, there's, there's no, we're helping. If it comes our way, we're, we're coming because we have help. Um, we have three guys on this side. We can help. One guy can help too. You know what I'm saying? So we talk about that a lot. And I think after a while, they didn't get it early, but then they start to understand like, oh yeah, teams do have bad spacing. Oh, I, I can see, you know, I'm right here, the low man. But, you know, there's three or four guys on this side. I can, you know, kind of roam a little bit. So I give them a little freedom. You know, sometimes it is scary because you're like, coach, you told me I can do that. But it's helped us so much because we take advantage of teams' bad spacing. So it's all about the teaching point. Um, you know, you got to drill it a little bit. Some of our shell drills, we do that. Uh, I talk about that all the time. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny to me. Now that I've, I've worked on that this, this season, I watch games. I'm like, that guy drove right to the middle of the floor. He pulled up and this guy was standing right there and he just watched him shoot it. And he could have literally just blocked it from behind or tipped it from behind. So we got really good at that. And teams were like kind of scared to like, uh, you know, drip on certain areas on the floor with us. I love it. I mean, I love it. I mean, to me, it's common sense, right? I mean, yeah. player development sessions I've done over the around the world for the last five years. I always start with that concept of offense is trying to create space and defense is trying to take it away. Yeah. And we play yeah. out of those concepts throughout the whole camp. And honestly, it is surprising sometimes that that isn't common sense because yeah. that's the basics of what you're doing in your system. And it doesn't matter where you're forcing the ball or whatever you're doing. You're just focusing on creating space or taking away space, aren't you? No question. No question. But I think it's the drills we do, too. Like you do a shell drill. You've got these principles. You're, it's pretty like set. Like this is what we do. We come off this way. So when teams do do something that's bad spacing, they're still they're still in their shell mind. I'm still in my position. I'm still hands out. I'm still. But it's like he's literally right there just tipping from behind or block his shot or help or double contest something like. So I think once you kind of like, hey, guys, we're in a shell, but you guys got to be creative, too. And you guys can understand bad spacing. So take advantage of that. Don't let them just be here with this bad spacing and still be able to make moves and do that. So they have to be able to move. I told my guys, like, they have to be able to move the ball well, have great spacing and be unselfish to beat us the whole entire game. They can't just be one-on-one or they can't just one pass and shot. They, no, they have to be able to be really good at that the whole entire game. And I think they kind of start to understand that concept. Well, you referenced it on offense, giving them some freedom out of some concepts. Yeah. And you're doing the same thing defensively. And I find the best defensive coaches now are giving their players some opportunities to make decisions. 
Yeah, yeah, no question. I mean, because at the same time, like, there is concepts, but the game's changed, man. Like, there's so many different ways uh, guys can score the ball now. Like, I mean, from all the YouTube videos, these kids are learning crazy moves and different types of variations of ways to play the game now. So you kind of have to let these kids kind of have a little bit of that leeway, but still be into in that framework. That's why I always go back to the artists. I'm like, I'll, I'll give you guys the tools, but you guys got to be the artists, man. You guys got to literally be the artists and be creative on both sides of the floor. Love it. Yeah, I love yeah. that uh, reference. And uh, coach, help us out because I know like the G League schedule is completely unique. It's an mm -hmm. extra challenge to a coach with the travel, with the busy schedule, practices, games, et cetera. So talk to us about how do you manage your time and keep the team and yourself focused and prepared throughout the season? Yeah, I mean, this is really, really cliche, but one day at a time. I mean, it's, it's, it's challenging just because, you know, we're commercial. We're, I mean, uh, I know, you know, you're in the NBA, you get used to the luxury of the, the, the charter planes, the private, like, so you're just going, everything's boom, boom. The commercial, you could be at the, you know, airport for three or four hours, right? And just waiting, delays, and getting late at night. And um, the next day, you know, you're trying to get to a gym that may not be, you know, suitable to play, actually, because you're at some community college, maybe that's out somewhere, like, you're just practicing, trying to get up shots. Like, so it's a lot of stuff you have to deal with, but it's staying present, staying present. Like, you got to have some type of mantra for these guys every day and, like, preach to them so they can be like, and then kind of check on them, be like, hey, you know, how are you guys feeling and all that? And like, but it's really like we're every day is a different day. You know, we're, we're on a mission. So it's a challenging thing. I know for myself, like and it's made me a better coach because even with the G League has has kind of put together with the two ways and uh, guys going up and down, man, there was times where, you know, we were shooting the lights out and then we have all these shooters and then they call our guys up. And then I'm thinking to myself, you know, I still got, you know, enough shooters and we're going to play the same way. And we go two games in a row. We can't make a shot from three. I'm just like, all right, what kind of coach am I? I got to adjust, right? And I'm like, all right. I'm looking at film from Luca and Dallas, how they play out the post and their guards. I'm looking at different things. And then we adjust. We went two, three games playing a whole different way, a totally different way. And I'm like, wow, I will never do this in the NBA. You know, just because you have to play a certain way. I mean, you'll play a certain way because you have a certain amount of talent. This is quick. Guys are going. Your best players are going. Now you don't have enough shooting. Now you got to play a different way. Play more attack the rim play out the post a little bit so yeah no it's 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 a challenging but it does uh it gives you it makes you grow faster than i think any any time i've had in my my nba career because you have to adjust on the fly so fast well coaching is definitely an art and a science and there's probably no better canvas canvas than the g league to be able to develop that is it yeah oh no no better <laughs> canvas i'm telling you no better yeah. So many challenges, so many unexpected things. And uh, obviously, it sounds fun in some way for us coaches to want to be a part of that. So that's great. Uh, it's only fun if it works. Of course. <laughs> well, I mean, no, win or lose, you fun. learn, right? Win or lose, you learn. And you're going to become better because of it in theory. But yeah. uh, I get what you're saying. And well, that's one yeah. thing, RGV, as we talked about, you guys have done a great job balancing that with winning and, and mm -hmm. consistently winning. And one of the reasons I think is that uh, you re referenced this a little bit earlier, but talk to us about how do you build pace and maintain pace? Because that's a big part about the philosophy of you guys playing the way you play, right? Yeah, um, no, it is. I mean, and I think, you know, I tell people all the time, I came in as an intern with the Rockets, so I've been kind of brainwashed, right? So it's like, you know, when you see one way to play, then you go, go somewhere else, you kind of be like, why are they doing it this way? We should be playing faster. We should be doing this, whatever. So it's always been like that since I started in the NBA. So it's kind of been embedded in me and I was a point guard. So I understand kicking the ball ahead and things like that. But essentially when it comes down to it, like it's like going back to what I said, your, your drills you do every day. Like, like I remember going to a uh, training, training camp with Pete Carroll and Pete Carroll, we were watching the you know, training camp. This is when I was with the Rockets. And then, you know, we're asking like, you know, what's the, your philosophy and things like that. And he's like, he's like, as the season goes on, your fundamentals go to shit. He said, so you have to do things. You have to be redundant and do the things you know that are going to make you successful every day, every single day. And you might have to, you know, disguise it as something else because guys do get bored of it, but you got to keep doing it. And I always took that with me. And I've seen other coaches kind of implement that. But like you play a pace, we're, we're doing that kick ahead drill almost every day. Now, guys, legs are tired. We know they're not going to do that, but we're doing kick ahead drill almost every day. And we count our kick aheads. And I'm big on that. Like, I know. 
like I'm, you know, the Rockets is obviously big on analytics. So I'm big on analytics, teaching the players, like, look at, we can see it right here. I'm not just saying it. Look at your kick ahead today. Look at, the, look at the first quarter. Look at the second quarter. Look at how we made a run third quarter. Like, you know, we, we kicked the ball ahead or we pushed our pace. Look at our pace. We're the third in the league or fourth in the league. Like, we should be better than that. So it's all about that re, like reinforcement of like, all right, we win games. We, our pace is high. Look at, we're, we're losing games. Like, how slow we're playing. Things like that. So you got to keep, keep hitting with, with different angles. And uh, I, I showed a team, uh, I think before the playoffs, it was uh, Sacramento. And how they got the ball to uh, after makes they got the ball off the court in like two seconds, and I showed like a big highlight reel of it. I was like, I said, this is this is us right here. This is why we're here right now. But we got to even have to be faster. So I always hit them with things like that, and I think you have to do it in different ways because these kids, you know, I send them film all the time, and we we have a WhatsApp app that we all share stuff, and I send them film all the time, highlight reels, and they'll comment on it and stuff like that. And I'm like, that should be you, so and so. That should be you, so you know. So it's always hitting them with this. So then they can't have no room to be like, I'm doing it a different way. Now, nah, coach is brainwashing us. We can't do it a different way. So, yeah. I love it. I love it. I love charting that idea of charting hit ahead. It's like whatever you want to appear, obviously emphasize it and chart it. Uh, yeah. How you referenced analytics. What are some ideas that you can share with us about managing analytics? Because that seems to be a big part of the job now for a coach is figuring out how to manage all this information. Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, first it starts with the staff. So we got to all understand what we're looking at, right? And like, even me, like, even though I came in with it with the Rockets and I understood a lot of it, you know, our GM, uh, Travis Stockbridge, he's, you know, uh, obviously, you know, through the whole organization, they're big in it, but our GM is really big in it. So I would call him and be like, okay, break this down for me. What does this exactly mean? I see these numbers, but I'm, this is not making sense. And like, we'll talk for some time, an hour on the phone, just going through analytics and why this and why that. So my job, and then, is, you know, bring the staff together and make it digestible for the staff or for all of us. So then we can make it digest digestible for the players. And believe it or not, like I used to think players didn't really care about that because it's like, I mean, who cares about analytics? But now um, knowing that it's a big part of them making money, they're starting to get into it a little more. Right. And like, so if you can make it digestible for them and when our player development guys sit down, there's like a breakdown of each player of like what they did, like our, like say going to the offensive rebounding or even boxing out or, uh, or just passing one, one drop, one dribble pass, whatever. There's a lot of little things we chart that they're looking at each player and saying like, you could do better at this. You can do better at that. And if you do better at this, you'll get to this. So I think it's big just to like, first know what you're looking at. Don't just be having all these numbers. And cause some stuff I don't even care about, to be honest. I think a lot of coaches, there's a lot of numbers there, but the numbers that really matter for your team, your system, you have to know it inside it out. So then you can explain to the players and then the whole staff knows, and then we can just keep hitting them with it. Well, I think the most important thing you said there is the humility to be able to ask if you don't understand. Yeah, um, yes. And I know I'm there with so many analysts. <laughs> I have to ask someone, what does this actually mean? <laughs> Yo, man, I do it all the time. Like I call it Travis, like, come on. He's like, all right, let me break this down. I'm like, well, I don't, that doesn't really mean nothing for us. Well, I don't have to worry about that. Or, or <laughs> yes, I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, how does he respond when you tell him that one doesn't mean anything for us? <laughs> well, it actually does. <laughs> no, I want to yeah, say I, words, but yeah. I get it. <laughs> you know, you know the, the biggest challenge is like taking it from the analytics department per se to a coach and then applying it on the court. And that mm -hmm. is obviously the art of it is like the science. Yeah, we know the numbers. We get the numbers. We understand it. But then we have to apply it in a practical yeah. way and still have it conform to our team identity and team culture, right? That's the biggest yeah. challenge of this. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, because I've been in a lot of meetings, coaches' meetings, where you know, you know, somebody will uh, put some numbers out, and then we're like, okay, how are we gonna? What's the solution, right? And then everybody's throwing out different drills and different concepts, like, okay, we can do this every day, or we can do this, and like. Some guy, somebody might, somebody might say, I did that before. That doesn't work. So it's kind of like, that is the challenge, right? Like, and I think it's team to team. Like it doesn't, it's not just like, okay, this magic drill works for everybody, right? It's team to team. Like there might be something that even, well, maybe it's film, like some, like, man, they, they really react to film well, you know? So I think it's it just even like, we're talking about ball movement one time and I had a highlight uh, edit of Minnesota. Um, and I was like, you know, I always had it with me. 
you know, just from being over there, it was about our ball movement, right? And how we're moving the ball, shooting threes, making plays, playing fast pace. Now, so I'm going to show these guys. We were playing against the Texas Legends the game the day before I showed it to them. And we had our probably best scoring game of the season. We, like, broke a record. In our, I think we had, like, 50-some points in a quarter. It was something. And I was like, was that the film or was that my coach? I don't know what, you know. And I did it again, like, two weeks later, and we played well again. I was like, all right, I got it. I can't abuse this. But I got timing right. I said, I think they react well to highlight, you know, like seeing somebody else that's really good doing what I want them to do. So I'll start putting these ads together. And like, so, but it all kind of came from the analytics. I'm like, we're playing too slow. We're doing this. Look at the numbers. So if I just show them the numbers, it might've just, it might've hit, but it might've been like, ah, no, here's people doing it that you want to be like, look it. And then I think that kind of like helped them kind of see and grasp what I'm talking about. So yeah, you obviously got to practice it, but sometimes you got to figure out other ways. I love that. Thanks for sharing that uh, yeah. example. That's such a good, right, great, great one to drive it home. And, uh, you know, I know player developments have been important to you in your career in terms of how you've come up through the NBA. So talk to us a little bit about balancing player development with team development, um, especially at the level that you're at, where players want to get to their next level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a challenge for me because, you know, before the season, I'm drawing up writing up different ways to do our player development. And I'm just like, okay, Kevin, you're not in player development anymore. You got to think about the team now. Like, and then I'm like, all right. So now I have to, you know, trust some of my coaches and say, okay, this is what I kind of look for. I think there's concepts that as a coach that you want your offense to look like um, that you can work on every, every day with player development, like playing off the catch. That's one simple one. Like, I think most coaches like that. I don't think too many coaches would be like, I don't want you to play off the catch. So that has to, I told our player development guys, Ray Murray was with us. Uh, he's with the Sixers now. Uh, uh, we had a, a Myra Chapman. We had, we had a whole squad. Our, I, my, my coach staff was great this year. Uh, Jay Stedman, all these guys. We had a great coaching staff, but um, we put our player development and Evan Harville was with the team last year. So he had a lot of things that worked. So I told him like anything that worked, tell me and we're going to implement it. But one thing I want to do is make sure every day we're playing off the catch. Like that's non-negotiable. We are playing off the catch and we're teaching the technique. So we as a staff walk through the technique of what I wanted and like how I want to run through the ball. And then the second layer of what decision from either decelling and slowing down or to making a pass or to finishing. So I went through the whole player development concept in that way. And then after that, what you want to do with the ball handling and the shooting, like I'm fine with the, you know, get them all that stuff. But that part has to be every day. And I think that helped us a lot because it stopped guys from just catching it and dribbling as much. Coach, you've done so much already. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to get your uh, future aspirations and uh, what you kind of foresee for yourself now. You've done all these different steps along the way. What's next? Well, obviously, just keep growing. You know, that's why I think I'm excited about my second year. Like I got to tell some of my uh, basketball peers that asked me about my year and I'm like I grew so much just studying the game because you know obviously being a head coach you have to have the answers the next morning so like um keep growing and then secondly like you know I have aspirations to be an NBA head coach and I feel like I am going to be I think I have a gift of working with players and I think that's a big part of it you know that's a big part of making players buy in and that's one thing I have a gift with uh, no matter if it's a hard player to deal with quote unquote or just somebody that's not confident like I can kind of you know, make them play within the system and um, and help them grow as a player and, uh, and you know, kind of help the team. And just I always had dreams of being the head coach of the Seattle Supersonics. So, you know, um, just saying. Got to like, get a team we, back. Just got to get a team back. When we, when we get back, it's going gonna, gonna to be that head coach. So I'm cool. still putting that, in, putting that in the universe, and I feel like that's going to be me. But, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, I can't wait to what the future holds for me, and I'm very confident that I'll be that NBA head coach. Uh, and we're going to put that out to the universe for you as well, coach. I love that. You. And, uh, you know, I got, I got to say, like, it seems a little bit more common now to have a G League head coach be multiple years as the head coach of the team. Mm-hmm. But talk to us a little bit, but maybe first, what do you see as things that you can do better going into your second year? And then what is the advantage of doing it for a second year? Oh, well, you know, if you ask me, I'm pretty hard on myself. So I think I could do a lot of things better. Well, be nice Uh, to yourself here. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. I mean, I actually, I mean, I patted myself on the back at the end of the season because I I did do, I think, a pretty good job. But there's always there's things that I've never, like when you're a head coach, you've, 
you did thought exercises. At least I, I do thought exercises of different situations. But until you're into that situation, you don't know how you handle them. Um, so for sure, like for me, I feel like substitution patterns at times, like, you know, you you, you want to like, you know, play your best players at the time. Then you, you, you want to take one of your best players out because he's not doing the right things. And you're like, ah, I'll leave him in a little longer, things like that. And I second guess, my, second guess myself a couple of times this season where I feel like, you know, at least for me, I feel like it hurt us. Uh, and I, sometimes I'll tell the team, like, yeah, that one was on me. Um, so I think I can improve on that. And I think I did throughout the season. And I, did, I had, a, had a lot of help from our GM because he, he does the analytics with it. And then um, after that, you know, just, you know, starting in camp, you want to start. Like, I started camp with so much stuff. I did so much. I gave him so much. And I think it watered down a little bit of stuff we were doing. So I think this season, for sure, I'm going to start it only what we, our core stuff. That's it. Like, I don't need to teach you a million skills for this or that. Only our core stuff, because that's what really matters. I didn't, I didn't understand it matters until the season went on. So, yeah, them are the two things I think I'm going to, you know, change for next season and be better at that, be better at the subs, and then definitely in camp and start with our core stuff. Um, but, yeah. What was that second one? The advantage of being that coach the second year is obviously. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah multiple years. Like, mm-hmm. so the confidence uh, after this year, I had, you know, my confidence just grew as, as far as just my coaching abilities. So going into the second season, I, I remember the season that ended. I said, I can't imagine after next season how much I conf- more confident I will be just because you go through the, the ups and downs and the, the wins and the losses and the, it's all that hard work and the grind. Like, you just build a uh, – you know, a lot more confidence and you build a lot more, you acquire more skill. Uh, and then you can't teach experience, right? So like, like there's a lot of coaches that are really talented, but they've never been in the fire, right? And so like, I'm like, I want the reps, I want more reps. So that's why I couldn't wait to get back this year because it gives you more reps to be in that moment where it's, you know, you got to make a split second decision. Or are you going to go for a two for one at this point? Or are you going to do this or blah, blah, blah? So it's a lot of different ways that you could uh, look at it, but it's more about acquiring more experience, and I can't wait. I love it. I mean, you're approaching it all the right way, and uh, we're really grateful. I mean, it took a while to get us finally together. <laughs> yeah. It's worth it. Thank you for your perseverance, and uh, grateful, <laughs> grateful for you to be able to share the game with us. No, I just want to thank you, and you're doing a great job because, you know, obviously as a coach, you know, just being able to get going to a podcast and listen to somebody say something that I could take real quick and help my team or just learn something like that. That's amazing because, you know, as coaches, we're always trying to get better. And this is a great podcast. You're doing a great job. Thanks so much, coach. Are you ready to take your coaching to the next level? Thousands and thousands of coaches have already benefited from basketball immersions, membership community, and you can be next. Join us as an individual coach or take advantage of our exclusive pricing for staff or club members and unlock valuable learning resources with access to cutting-edge basketball and coaching concepts that will save you time and improve your coaching and your players' enjoyment of practices and games. Take advantage of this opportunity today. Go to www.basketballimmersion.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout-out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.